Well, our deal this year is whenever, wherever, be like Jesus. And so to be like Jesus, it helps if you know Jesus. And even if you don't know Him, it helps to know what He's like. So we're going through the book of Luke and we're not so much looking at like Jesus' words and, and, and what He said and, and, and perhaps the miracles that He did, although we're looking at all of that. What we're really looking at is kind of His nature, His character, how He was with people. Because to be like Jesus, if I can have a look and see what He was like, that's quite helpful. It gives me a picture that I can base my world off. And so this morning I have called my message, they don't normally get titles, but today has, I've called it Thilo. Can you say that? Thilo. Thilo. That wasn't bad, try again. Thilo. Thilo, yeah, Thilo, excellent. And uh, we're in Luke chapter 5 and we're looking from verses 12 to 16. If you'd like to follow me along you can, uh, with me, you can, otherwise it's on the screen. It says this, In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster. The vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Now, I'm not sure about you, but when I read that passage of Scripture, I find it quite moving. It's, it's a powerful passage of Scripture, but not only is it a moving passage, uh, passage of Scripture, it's full of meaning, like every part of Scripture. It's full of meaning. And you need to understand some of the context that leprosy was and still is a horrendous disease. It's horrendous. It's called Hansen's disease now. It's kind of like if they change the name, it'll be less horrendous. I don't know. But it's a terrible, terrible thing. Primarily, it's still found amongst poorer nations and poorer people in those nations. But it's an absolutely terrible, terrible, hideous disease. An advanced case of leprosy is a horrendous thing to see, let alone to hear about. I'm going to put a picture up of a man with a fairly advanced case of leprosy. And if you're sensitive, I advise that you just close your eyes for the next few seconds because it's not very pleasant. But if you want to get some of the context of the gravity of what I'm talking about, this is it. Three, two, one. Close your eyes if you want to. You can see his eyes are gone. He's lost most of his fingers. Thumb on one hand's gone. Toes on one foot have gone. It's a horrendous thing. If I can give you some context, this is the picture that, that's enough. This is what Jesus, this is who 
Jesus came across. What you need to understand about leprosy is that if you had leprosy, you were tamay. Tamay means unclean. And if you're unclean, you weren't allowed to associate with anybody else. In fact, it was, it was uh, regarded normal for you to remain 50 feet away from other people if you were unclean, which is quite, you know, a big distance. Leviticus chapter 13 says this, those who suffer from the serious skin disease must tear their clothing and leave their hair uncombed. That was so that people could tell they were sick. Some cases, leaving our hair uncombed doesn't actually give a good signal. Like, can you tell the difference? They must cover, again. They must cover their mouth and call out, Tamay, Tamay, or unclean, unclean. As long as the serious disease lasts, they will be ceremonially unclean. They must live in isolation in their place outside the camp. Leprosy was literally a death sentence. It was a death sentence physically. It was a death sentence socially. It was a death sentence economically. It didn't matter which way you looked at it. It was a death sentence. You couldn't touch or go near any person. And even if you could, they wouldn't want to come near you because it was contagious. And if they touched you, they would then be unclean as well. I, um, as many of you know, I, I, I travel quite a bit, whether it's around our missionaries or doing different things, and I get to pray for a lot of people around the world. And let me be really open, really honest with you, just for a minute. I get confronted with people in some countries, and I look at them, and I know, because they're next in the queue, that I've got to lay my hand on them and pray for them. And everything within my being repulses because of the condition that they're suffering with. I look at them and I just, I'm not wired. Some people love that. Mother Teresa, probably, you know, I'm just not wired for that stuff. Everything within me just literally repulses. And I'm like, well, Lord, my biggest step of faith right now is I'm going to put my hand on this person and I hope I'm still alive in a few months to talk about it. It may sound ridiculous, but those are the kind of thoughts that go through my head sometimes because what I'm confronted with, I, I do not know how to cope with it. I just don't. A couple of years ago, I was in some orphanages in China and the kids there and places, if they have any abnormality, they just left to die, put out on the street in many cases. And they get taken in, in some cases, by orphanages. But some of the disfiguration and stuff on some of these children is just, it's just absolutely heartbreaking. And at the same time, when you look at them, they're just, it's almost repulsive. I know I sound really shallow right now, but I'm just being honest. And what do you do with it? And I'm there with some people and they just, you know, they're wired for this deal. They've just got the kids in their arms and they're loving on them and everything else. I'm like, oh God, help me. These kids are going to slobber all over me. They, all, all they want is to cuddle and, and they do. And you can change your life literally by sitting there cuddling them. But for me, that's quite a step of faith. But I'm just not wired that way. I'm just not. Probably most of us aren't. But I'm not. 
So I can just picture this man sitting there as Jesus comes in. Now, it doesn't say there was a crowd around Jesus, but it doesn't say there wasn't. And to be quite frank, unless he withdrew, there was always a crowd around Jesus. Jesus had the happening ministry on the planet. You know Reinhard Bonnke? Millions of people coming. Nothing compared to what Jesus had going on. Numbers might be a bit different. But people, crowds just following Jesus everywhere. So I imagine in my mind's eye that the man was 50 feet away. Because if Jesus is walking in, a bit of a crowd following him, the man's going to be holding at some distance. And what's he do? What's he do? He cries out, Lord, Lord. Now that's a cry that I imagine most of us have never cried. He said it like this. He said, Kyrios, Kyrios, which means supreme in authority. Supreme in authority. This guy had no hope whatsoever. He was living a death sentence and there would have been a desperation in his call, in his cry for Jesus, that you are my only hope if you don't, I'm gone, I'm out of here, I'm done. I remember when I was a teenager and I got badly burnt. I can remember a sound coming out of my mouth that is impossible for me to make. But it's a sound of desperation, I'm dying is what it is. There's a sound when you're truly desperate that sounds different to any other sound that you can make. And my picture of this man is simply crying out, Kyrios, Kyrios, absolute desperation. This, this, or it's nothing. My whole hope is in you at this one moment. Supreme authority. If you don't come through now, I am completely and utterly sunk. I think this is where we have a massive gap in the West, in New Zealand, in that we don't really understand desperation. Unless something significant, really traumatic has happened to us, we don't understand desperation like this man would have understood desperation. Most of us are really comfortable. So when we cry, Lord, it's more like, Lord, Lord, can you do something for me? It's not the desperation, curios, curios, I'm stuffed completely without you. But sometimes it's a curios cry that the master, that Jesus needs, and it's what he responds to. It's what grabs his attention. And the evidence for many of our lives in New Zealand is we might cry curios, supreme in authority, But are we really crying to God? Are we crying to our bank account, to our education system, to our government, to our friends, to the culture of the day? Or are we crying to God? I've got a desperate situation on my hands. And I'm preaching to myself, so don't panic. How can I fix it? How much is it going to cost? Go straight to my bank account. Have I got enough to fix it? 
Can the doctor fix it? Can the government fix it? But this guy's just way outside those realms. Can my career fix it? Can my relationships fix it? Can culture fix it? Lord, Lord, I need more money in my bank so I can fix so I can fix the problem. This guy's like, Kyrios, Kyrios. Like, I'm stuffed. Only you can fix this. Doesn't matter how much money, how much education, how good the government is or any other thing. God, I need you. A writer wrote, he's either Lord of all or not at all. And I think that's so true in many cases. Jen and I were recently talking in the car when we were driving and um, just kind of got that prophetic streak that's quite black and white, which keeps me in line. And um, we were asking the question, what's the goal of our faith? What is the goal of our faith? And just talking about this, and then she comes out and she says this, which is just kind of like a conversation ender, really. She goes, well, if the goal's comfort, we might as well retire because we've succeeded. We've done that. Whoa. What do you mean we've done that? She goes, well, if the goal is comfort, we've done it. Haven't we? And let's face it, we have. We have. You've come from a comfortable home this morning. You've come in a comfortable vehicle. Now, it might look different to others. It could be a skateboard. It could have been a limousine. But to your way of thinking, it was probably comfortable. You're wearing comfortable clothes. Praise the Lord. You've come to a comfortable building to worship in a comfortable atmosphere and to be encouraged by a comfortable message so we can survive another comfortable week. If comfort's the goal, yeah, baby, we've done it. Congratulations, everyone. Time to pack up and go home because we are there. We have made it. But I've got the feeling that the goal is not comfort with Jesus. The true cry, Lord, Lord, is an acknowledgement that Jesus is my Lord, and that I'm a disciple, and that I am, I am pursuing His ways, and my life has been shaped according to His plans and purposes, and He's about faith. He's not about comfort. He's never, look at the Scripture, He's never ever been about comfort. He's always been about faith. I think one of our greatest downfalls in the West is that we're comfortable. I don't really want it to change, to be honest, because it's comfortable. But when we're comfortable, comfortable and desperate do not go in the same sentence. They just can't. You and I can't get what this man was feeling. We just don't. Because we're going to go home and we're going to have lunch and we're going to sit on a comfortable seat somewhere where this guy was stuffed. But Jesus is about seeing people set free. He's not about comfort. He's about freedom. He's about salvation. He's about eternity. He's not about comfort. Does that mean he doesn't want you to have anything nice? No, it does not mean that he doesn't want you to have anything nice. Does it mean that he wants you to live on the street, not in a nice house? No, it does not mean that. But it's where is my source? Where does my help? Is my source, my wallet is my source? There's a lot of people that, that you know, they, they talk and you talk about the achievements in their life and I've done this, I've done that. We forget that the only reason we can do anything is Jesus. He created me, put 
breath in my lungs. He gave me certain skills in certain areas which mean I can do certain things. But without Him, nothing. Zero, nada. Not a thing. Oh no, but if my bank says I can do it, if my career says I can do it, if my education, only I had a bit more education. Nothing wrong with any of these things. Don't hear me wrong. It's where's our hope? What are we anchored onto? Are we anchored onto Jesus or are we anchored onto the things of this world? He's about seeing people free. That is faith. We are called to live by faith and not by Hey, you know it. We're called to live by faith and not by sight. It's faith that he's interested in. Faith. The leper cries to Jesus and he says, if you are willing, philo, the Greek word, if you are willing, if you are willing, Make me clean, heal me. If you're willing, how do you think Jesus responds? He simply says, Philo. In other words, I am willing. I am willing. If you're willing, I am willing. If you're willing, I am willing. Lord, if you're willing, I am willing. Are you? Yes, I'm willing. If only we'd ask. If only we'd cry out to Him, I am willing. When we turn our attention to Jesus, He's always willing. Now, some of us will be sitting here going, yeah, yeah, I hear that, but I've turned my attention to Him and I've asked for things, I've asked for miracles, I've asked for things, and they just have not happened yet. Why is that? I don't know why that is. That is way, way above my pay grade, but it doesn't mean stop asking. Don't stop asking. Get his attention. It was the cry, the desperate cry of the leper that got Jesus' attention. And then he was willing because he's always willing. All I know is this, the healing power of God is for everybody. The miracle power of God is for everybody. And if I don't see what I'm asking for, what I'm desiring for, when I want to see it, it does not mean that it's not available to me. And I'm going to make it about me, not about him, because I know he is always willing. He is always willing. So I'm asking myself, I don't know the answers, but he is always willing. Thilo, Thilo, he is always willing. He always wants to be part of our lives. Jesus reached out, it says in verse 13. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. I don't know what you read when you read that, but when I read Jesus reached out and touched him. I, I want to read it like this. Sorry, Reese, I'm going to use you. I, 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 I kind of want to read it like this because you've seen the picture. Um, you know, and he was healed and made whole because the Bible just says he reached out and touched him. So that'll 
do, surely. But it's not actually what it says. What it says. When it goes back to the original language, what it actually says is Jesus took hold of him. Took hold of him. Pushed through all the stuff, all the mess, all the horrid stuff, and he was healed. And I believe to my absolute core that Jesus wants to do exactly the same for you. It doesn't matter what's going on in your world. He doesn't want to touch you from an arm's reach. He wants to take hold of you. And it's when he takes hold, when we allow him to take hold of us, is when healing comes, is when we encounter the power of God, is when life change comes. I think in my own life, some of the mess I was making when I was a teenager and and started to pursue God, but I was scared to take hold of him because I thought, well, I've stuffed this up good once, I'll just stuff it up again. And someone prophesied over me and said, All the days of your life, you'll never leave the house of God. And it was like Jesus taking hold of me and saying, this is okay, let's go. And he wants to do exactly the same for you. No matter what's in your world, oh, it's too messy, it's too horrible. I don't see anybody in the room looking quite like that guy. Life can be messy. Life can be horrible. Stuff happens. We make mistakes. We can make right Big mistakes some days, but Jesus took hold of him like Jesus wants to take hold of you. The leper was then cleansed, healed, and restored. This, to me, this scripture is just like this is what Pentecost is about. This is what Pentecost is about. Jesus provided the way of salvation. Then the Father sends the Holy Spirit to empower us to live like Jesus lived. He empowers us to reach out, to take hold of the unclean, the outcast, the marginalised, the ones who don't feel comfortable, the ones that are struggling, essentially anyone that doesn't know Him. Then Jesus answers the question, are you willing? Yes, I am willing. I am willing. And then Jesus acts by cleaning and purifying and healing them. And then finally, He ensures the restoration. And that's what he's asked us to do. He's filled us with the Holy Spirit so that we can reach out, take hold, see healing come and see restoration come. That is the role of the church in a nutshell. Our role is not to make judgment on this, that and the other thing. Our role is to love. Our role is to be like Jesus. Our role is to take hold of the unlovely, take hold of the marginal or marginalised. Love them. See them through restoration. Surely that's what Pentecost is all about. And then finally, Jesus withdrew afterwards. And I think maybe this could be the real issue. I know I find this the hardest thing, withdrawing to pray. It's not that I don't like praying. It's that life's really, really busy. Someone always wants something. You've always got to be somewhere. There's stuff happening. But Jesus had this master. You go, you flick through the scripture, and it's like, here, 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 here. He withdrew and he prayed. He withdrew and he prayed because he was recharged in God. I wonder if at the end of the day, that's actually some of the real issue for us is that we don't actually take the time to recharge in God to pray. So we don't actually have a lot to offer because we haven't recharged. 
Now, if you're sitting there and you need some points, this is as close as I'm getting to points. Write them down. Some leadership principles from this passage of Scripture. Number one, never give up. Never give up. Cry, stamp, scream. Get God's attention. Get God's attention. Never give up. Be the one who reaches out. Offer hope. Offer hope. It's not over until it's over. Offer hope. And initiate hope. The process is not complete until restoration is complete. I think it's part, particularly when we're working with people, stuff happens. Stuff happens, a wheel falls off, wheels fall off, all sorts of things happen. But the process isn't over until restoration is complete. Faith, I don't need to write any more about that. Faith, it's obvious. Called to live by faith and not by sight. Faith, faith pleases. Faith is the currency of heaven. Finally, withdraw regularly, pray, and recharge. You're not being lazy when you pull back to pray, to recharge. You're being like Jesus, actually. As long as you are praying, recharging, not playing PlayStation. Thilo, are you willing? The man, the leper, asked Jesus, I am. Thilo, he responded. And it's exactly the same with us today. It doesn't matter what state your life's in. I don't know what state you've walked through the door this morning. You could have a passionate, vibrant relationship with Jesus or you might just find yourself sitting here wondering how on earth you got here. It does not matter what state your life is in. Jesus looks at you and says, I am willing. I am willing. And Jesus is the only way that we can live the life we were destined to live. That goes beyond this world and into eternity. He is the supreme authority. He knows us through and through. He came, he died on a cross because that's how it had to work. It had to be a blood sacrifice to fix up this mess of a relationship that people had caused. He was risen from the grave on the third day. And, in, and through all of that, what he did was create the environment that you and I can now walk, knowing him as saviour and as friend. Not only for this life, but into all eternity. Romans chapter 10 in the Scriptures says to us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, the relationship will be mended, not only for this life, but for all eternity. And if you want to paraphrase, he's just looking for us to say, are you willing? He responds, I'm willing, I've already done it all. If you're willing, let's go. Let's go.